morning. It's good to see you. Uh, I have an announcement to make. Uh, if you've followed football in this community at all, especially over there at Roosevelt High School, uh, then you would know that Roosevelt hasn't won a game in three years. And uh, that's, that's not good. <laughs> If uh, you're, you don't even have to be a you don't have to be a sports fan to get that, <laughs> uh, but yeah, they've lost over twenty plus games in a row, and uh, I think that's a little bit defeating. Uh, when I first moved to the neighborhood, I can remember driving up to uh, Roosevelt High School to just go over there and um, just see my neighborhood. And one of the first signs that I ever saw at Roosevelt was, um, congratulations, girls, volleyball, fifth place. And that, that's, I've never, I haven't forgot that in a dozen years. And, and uh, I don't know if you know about the scholastic scores or where, where that school is. And it's only six blocks away from us. And uh, they've, they've had a hard time. And uh, they've had a legacy of being down. And uh, So last night, I got to take uh, three of my sons and my daughter to uh, a Roosevelt football game. It was our second one this season down uh, at Lincoln High School. They played Seaside, and they won. Can you believe that? They won 34 to 6, and they played like beasts. I mean, they were just pumped up. And it was almost like watching something that has very little life, slowly get life breathed into it, and, uh, and to watch the taste of that victory, and at the end, uh, to watch, to know that fans and, and players were crying tears of joy, uh, it was really interesting, and uh, you know, some of us are like, well, okay, that's sports, but uh, I think there was much more represented. There's much more represented at Roosevelt than just a school in our neighborhood. There's a lot more represented uh, by their football team. It's a symbol of, of our community. And it's a symbol of the health of our community. And uh, a lot of people put a lot of work into it. And there's Christ followers that uh, coach that team and, and are investing in the boys uh, for them to be men. And uh, it's just been amazing. So I just want, wanted to say that because uh, what is happening in our neighborhood, I just want to emphasize how holistic our ministry is and, and how holistic the gospel is. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news, not only is, pertains to us as individuals, but pertains to us as a community, but also pertains to us as a neighborhood, as a city, as a state, and as in the world. And so God's got restorative measures and things that he wants to do in us that lead us to victory. So last night, just seeing that story again, that story of being down and then being lifted up and being down and lifted up. And so today, uh, I wanted to hit a scripture today that, that brings us back into the story. Sometimes we lose where we're at in the story. Sometimes we uh, need to be reminded of the story there's nothing like a good story, a, a story when, uh, when, you, when you really like the story and you believe, and especially true stories for myself. When, when a movie has that, at the very beginning it says, true story, I'm like, yes, this is going to be great. I love the true stories. I don't know why that pumps me up a little extra, but knowing the, that a story is true and, and listening and finding and watching the characters find their place in the story and the conflict and the protagonist and antagonist and uh, sometimes the tragedy or the conflict and watching that get worked out is what geeks me up. And uh, so last night's story of Roosevelt High School geeked me up, but I've been thinking about us a lot lately for like years. <laughs> uh, but as I think about us... I think, um, you know, where are we at in our story, and uh, what, what else could we be reminded of? And if you've been here the last couple of weeks, I've talked a lot about uh, the vision that Jesus had for this world, and I've talked about the motivation uh, that fueled that vision so that Jesus would complete that and finish that. 
And uh, we've talked about the strategy that Jesus had, and, and I even parlayed that from two weeks ago into last week when we called it incarnational ministry, and we talked about what, did, what were the ramifications of Jesus becoming like us. And then we took a, a, a piece of the scripture that Paul talked about him becoming like others. And so I hope that you've been thinking about that. I hope that you've been hearing the story that, that Christ was seeking out the lost and that it pleased the Father for him to be on mission that way and that he became us. It was so important to him that he wrapped himself in flesh and left the throne to be with us. And then last week we talked really simply maybe what I would call the gospel of common sense is what does it look like for us to relate with our neighbors? What are the actual things that we're looking at? And then you know that I even brought up three hypothetical, stereotypical Portlanders. And um, so right now I want to remind you, <coughs> excuse me, I want to remind you in the story uh, to be praying for your place in the story and God's empowerment for us to be like Christ in those ways that we would seek and save loss and that we would want to please the Father, that we would wake up between that flesh and spiritual battle and that we would give ourselves over to uh, the influence and the control that the Holy Spirit has in our lives. And uh, all of that is so that people would come to know their Father in heaven. And so I want to remind you for the fifth time this month, everything we talk about is in context of a relationship. And the reason I say that often is because what's at stake and what we see in the Scriptures over and over and over again is people forget about the relationship that they're actually having with God and with each other, and it becomes religious, and it becomes the Dudley Do-Right show, and it becomes, oh, whatever the guy's name is in uh, The Simpsons, Ned Flanders. It becomes religious. It becomes a list of right and wrong. And, uh, and do you know that God isn't policing the right and wrong as much as he is saying, come into relationship with me? And so, today I want to go to Ephesians 2, so if you'll turn your Bibles to Ephesians 2. A lot of times I have you stand, but we're going to have steak today, and so I'm going to have you sit while we have a little bit of steak. And what do I mean by that? We're, we're going to take a big chunk of Scripture, and we might not get to eat it all today, we might not get to explain it all, but uh, you'll have some leftovers that you can go uh, in your remnant time uh, with the scriptures and with, uh, in your relationship with God if you have one, or maybe contemplating for the first time. But today, Ephesians 2 tells a story, and uh, we're going to read through it, but before we read through it, uh, let me pray about what... Uh, we might get to see and be a part of uh, if God speaks to us directly through his word. So if you'll pray with me. Lord God, very excited, Lord, just to read your word, to be nourished by your word, um, to come underneath your word, Lord, to allow you to, to be uh, our governor, to allow you to be our Lord, to allow you to command and direct and to move us. And so, Lord, I ask that you, Holy Spirit, would move through these words as Jesus breathed upon us, um, commands as he sent us uh, through the Great Commission. Uh, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would ground us and found us back into the cornerstone of which Jesus is and move us back into a dwelling and a place where we're not just reading a book, but we're learning and our, our hearts and our souls are being soothed, that we're being restored and renewed, changed. Lord, I pray for a transformational um, transformational things to happen today. I ask, Lord, that, that you would do those things, and I know that you promise those things. And so, Lord, help us to respond if we need to sacrifice, if we need to repent, if we need to forgive. Lord, help us to, to do your will. When we pray, Lord, we're seeking your will, and we're seeking what Jesus said is, is an abiding love. And so we thank you for sending your Son we thank you um, for all that we receive. We thank you that this piece of Ephesians 2 will remind us of what it is we've received through Jesus. Thank you, God. We look forward to being with you and responding to that throughout our life, not just today by singing songs. 
living a life in response to that. May we be grateful, all the more grateful after we read this. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Ephesians 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. Hear what he's, he's reminding them of who they were. And he says, among whom... We all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus You who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were, who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. That's a lot of stuff right there. Okay. Told you. It's going to be meaty. And the reason I decided to do this because it's usually a sermonic suicide is because it's too much to cover. Um, But I really, 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 really want you to be centering your own time in this Scripture. I really, really, really... We'll stop saying really, really, really. I really would like you to to contemplate uh, Ephesians 2 this week. I'd like you to take the time to look at it and see what God says to you in particular. So today what I want to do is I want to give you a grid... And if you're a note taker or maybe not, it might be good if you really want to get into the scripture this week. And uh, I'd like to give you a grid of of some stopping points that you'll be able to, maybe even you'll take one of the things that that we talk about and you can think about that for a day. And then you can go on into the story. And I really want you to see the richness of the story of Ephesians 2. And basically what it is, is it's God saying, here's who you used to be, and here's the new humanity. Here's the, the transformation I've done in you so that you can be in relationship. So right now I want you to think about the ways that, that God has transformed you and brought you closer into relationship with himself. I'd like you also to think about the transformative things that need to take place. What is the stumbling block or the barrier to some of the relationships you're in? Namely with God and then with other people, obviously. 
And God says this, God treats us as though something has been done. The way that God looks at us, the way that he loves us, the way that he gives us life, the way that he lifts us up, he acts as though something powerful has already taken place. Paul speaks in these past tenses of, you were this. And many times when we hear that past tense to say, you were this, it's in light of saying, because you've got to remember of how you're made today currently in the way that God sees you today. And so many things in our life, the myriad of voices call us and creep us back into our past, our old self. It's a constant battle. And we bring that into a forward motion many times, but these scriptures are saying there's been a new humanity, a new man, a new woman made through Christ Jesus. That's what we're going to look at today. But he he's, he's really says some really clear things. He's basically saying in verses 1 through 3, and here's where I, the first thing I want you to write, is you were a dead man or you were a dead woman walking. I'll just say again, you were dead. You didn't know it, but as you were walking the planet, you not knowing who Jesus Christ is and what Jesus Christ did for you was dead. Dead in your transgressions. Dead in sin. He's saying, look at verse 2. He says, we were sons of disobedience. We were, in 3, he says, we're dominated by our passions. We're held by our lust. We were under God's wrath. In verse 3, he says we're basically saying we're worldly descendants. That's the family that we lived in that was ruled by the prince of the air. We were ruled by our sin. We were swayed by Satan. We were not his son. And most of all, if you look in verse 11 and verse 12, it says... We were idolaters. We had our eyes on something else that was empowering us. We, our, our attention was focused on something else. And here's the great disaster. In verse 12, he said, you're separated from Christ. There's no link to Christ. This is how you were dead in your walking. And then furthermore, in the second part of verse 12, Not only were you separated from Christ, but you had no hope. There was no hope for you in your present situation, in your present place in this world. He's really being clear. Christianity, if you were to read only this about Christianity, you would say, this is not a good picture. This is is very hard to hear that I've been satanically swayed that I'm a son or daughter of disobedience. And he's painting a very clear picture to say, do you remember when you were that way? And we all know this. When we say, hey, do you remember when you were kind of like this? Sometimes we go, well, how much, what measure of that still exists today? But God is, is willing for it to be completely covered by grace, to be completely covered by the blood of Jesus. How much of our old self are we allowing to be in the economy? I want to read to you something written that's really affected me when I think about that I was a dead man walking and why is any of my dead life with me? You want to talk about zombies. Zombies are really popular right now. A buddy of mine had to show me this. uh, I think it's called 28 Days Later or something like that. Anyway, it's this zombie movie, and he had to show it to me, and I'm watching it, and I think there's like 28 months later now or something like that. But anyway, it was just like, you know, dead man walking? I mean, how depressing. How dare me put that in the sermon anyway? But it's... How, you know, wow, this is fantastic. Christianity is so unique in that it basically says humanity without Christ is really messed up. It's really not in a good spot. It's, there is no hope. 
All other religions say, in my humanity, I can get her done. I can start to think a certain way. I can enlighten myself. There's a system or a way. There's a religion. There's some things that I can do to go ahead and lift myself up. This is saying, remember, this is how bad things were. And he's reminding them because he's, I, I think he's looking at them going, hey, you got a little bit of zombie on you. And sometimes we do that. We're like, you know, it's, it's spiritually, you're, you're with your friends or you're in, you're in relationship with them. And, you know, when you're eating a meal with somebody and uh, sometimes they save a little in the corner of their mouth. Or uh, Dave, I love Dave, but he always tells me, you know, hey, did I leave any of the smorgasbord in my beard? And sometimes there's stuff hanging out, right? There's, there's, sometimes there's, there's that stuff. We don't really, I guess we do really in home communities, we get to the spot where when we get to know each other, when we trust each other, we can kind of say, hey, there's a piece of your old self there. It's kind of hanging out and stinky like carcass. It's not good. It's affecting me. No, the renews is, isn't taking care of this. Our relationship, it, it's got some of your old zombie. And we look at each other, and every once in a while when we see the zombie come out, we're like, oh, here she comes. Ooh. We look, and we see that, that Paul is on course here to say, hey, remember, there's a new humanity. Do you believe it? Do you believe that you've been made new? Because many times, even sermonically or reading the scriptures or our grid, many times we look at each other so with the sin grid. We concentrate on policing each other's sins. We want to police each other all of the time. And this scripture is saying God sees you as a saint while you're concentrating on all the sins of the zombie life, being a dead man walking. And he's saying, do you remember what took place? An outrageous, immeasurable showering of grace. The blood of Jesus has reconciled all of us. And to this context in Ephesus, a very important place for him to be ministering, he's saying Jews and Gentiles who were separating each other so much, so whatever the discrimination of the day was, you couldn't get more than the religious and irreligious. And to the religious, how dare we bring these Gentiles into the system or into the family? But this Ephesians piece, Paul is saying, are you forgetting this? Stop being zombies and start being children of God. You have been brought into the family. And I'm going to say these three words hopefully a lot today. Because God loves you and he's bringing life to you and he's lifting you up by no merit of your own. So cool out on the zombie view of each other and the sin and the dead and men and women walking and begin to understand and receive what God has done for you in making you his. God forgave you of those sins. Why do you want them hanging out on you? God sent His Son to die so that blood atonement would reconcile us back to our Father. Remember, the context is always God isn't in this big sin management gig. God isn't taking... God, there will be judgment and, and God takes accounting. But what's greater than that is his love and mercy. Do you know how much his love and mercy show off his true character? Have you forgotten how much God loves you? My last hammer on that. We have a dead status. And I'm speaking to you if you have not yet accepted Jesus Christ. If you've not yet said, I'm going to place my trust in Jesus. And by placing my trust in Jesus, then a flood of love can come to me. Good news is that I'll live forever in a relationship with God. If you don't trust God or each other, you cannot be loved. There's a really good book about that called True Faced. Some friends of mine in Arizona wrote, 
They say if you don't trust God, you can't be loved by God. If you don't trust other people, you can't truly be loved by them. You have a a skewed grid and you're looking at them through the zombie effect. In the year 1420, so not very recent, a man with like six names, two of them are Francois, that's the first one, and the last one's Fenlon, uh, this Frenchman, wrote this book. It's a little book I got for 60 cents at the Goodwill, so that makes me cool to a Portlander, because I paid so little, and it's recycled, guys, it's beautiful. Um, all the way from the 1420s. Uh, but here's, I, I want to read to you a little bit about seeing ourselves in that death state. And what he's going to say, I'll just warn you. He's going to say, what is going on when you're allowing some of your death to continue to remain with you? He's saying, so you, he's going to play some words here with life and death. But I want you to listen and, and see if you can get that. And you can borrow this from me later if if you want to look at it. He says this, Francois, like 500 and some odd years ago, he wrote, I cannot express to you how deeply I sympathize with you in your time of suffering. Okay, sorry. If this scripture here says there's a new humanity, there's a brand new state in Jesus Christ, then there must be a need to be made new. And if there's a need to be made new, it's probably because we're in touch with what is rotting, what is not truly life, that we're actually calling life. Like the emperor's clothing, like we go, oh yeah, that's okay, that's great, oh that looks good. And we're like, and God's going, God's statements are, that's death, you're being swayed by Satan, Uh, don't fake yourself out, Uh, I have a new identity and a new humanity and a new family for you. And so what he's saying is, are you suffering Do you feel any of the pains of being human? Are you irritated with it? I was this week. Until I let go, which is the name of the book. I cannot express to you how deeply I sympathize with you in your time of suffering. I suffer right along with you, but still it cheers me up to know that God loves you. And the very proof that God loves you is that he does not spare you but he lays upon you the cross of Jesus Christ. Whatever spiritual knowledge or feelings we may have, they are all a delusion if they do not lead us to the real and constant practice of dying to self. And it's true that we do not die without suffering, nor is it possible to be considered truly dead while there is any part of us which is yet alive. The spiritual death, which is really a blessing in disguise, is undeniably painful. It cuts swift and deep into our innermost thoughts and desires with all their parts exposing us for what we really are. The great physician who sees in us what we cannot see knows exactly where to place the knife. He cuts away that which we are most reluctant to give up and how it hurts. But we must remember that pain is only felt where there is life. And where there is life is just the place where death is needed. Our Father wastes no time by cutting into parts which are already dead. Don't misunderstand me. He wants you to live abundantly. But this can only be accomplished by allowing Him to cut into that fleshly part of you which is still stubbornly clinging to life. Don't expect God to deal with those vulgar, wicked desires which you renounce forever when you gave yourself away to Him. That part of you is already dead, but He will deal with the parts of you that are still alive He might even test your faith with restrictions and trials of all kinds. What did God do for us in this state is the next statement I want you to make. So the first one was, we were walking, dead men and women walking, verse 1 through 3. And the second one, in light of how... We were separated from Christ and godless and had no hope in this present world. What did God do for us in that state? And here's what God did for us. In verse 4 it says that he loved us. In fact, his love is his primary tool for showing us life. For bringing us into his purposes. And so what God did for his enemy while they were dead in sin and dominated by passion and under, God, under his own wrath and, and godless... 
in the state we were. He loved us and he saved us. He set us free, made us alive. He resurrected and he exalted us, verse 5 and 6. He placed, up, placed us in his relationship. Think about that. Have you ever been to, were you ever somebody who just walked into a situation, somebody said, I want to do this for you, and they put you in a spot that exalted your situation, that they lifted you up and put you into a better place? This is what God has done. God has done for his enemy what we would not do without Jesus Christ. So as we go through this, as we go through these scriptures to find out what God has done and how God's answered these questions, these two are the implications for us to live as godly people, to live as his family. And so who is your enemy, the one who needs things cut off? And, and I hate to say this, but I bet you at times they're in your own household. And sometimes they're even right here where we view somebody in that zombie death. But God, the way he treated his enemy is he loves them. He provides life for them. And then he lifts them up. And where does he lift them up? He lifts them up right directly into the relationship that he's having with his son. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's retrieving and resurrecting us, this scripture says. This is what he did for his enemy. He brings them closer into the family. And he brings them right directly at the highest place in the family, right with Jesus. Let's be honest, that flips our lids. The idea that God would take his enemy and put them in the very select, perfect position of the way the Father looks at the Son is absurd. Especially considering the sins that we know about ourselves and the shame and the guilt and the, and the self-esteem problems that we have, knowing and limping through life. And God says, I'll take you from that and I will place you as though you are my son. I remember being a little boy. My father worked 30 years for the Continental Airlines and when we walked on a plane, he always ended up knowing everybody and he always knew the pilot. And so every single time I went and I looked at that, the cockpit, I felt like the most special boy on the whole plane as they described that as the guy would let me sit there and flick switches. Imagine if I was a terrorist. Imagine if my plot was actually totally against the safety of that plane and he brought me into the best place. That's who we were. We did not even know because we were separated from Christ what we were missing out and how we're missing out on God's goodness until God brings you into the inner chamber through his son, the holy of holies, the place where it's blameless, and says, I have lifted you up out of death, out of your trespasses, out of your, your, your aggression to me, and I've brought you in as my children. That's what God did for his enemy. And why did God treat us so kindly? Look at verse 7. He did so, it says, so that he might show immeasurable grace. See, God isn't into concentrating on our faults, on our problems. This is very confusing for church people in particular. It's called an environment of grace where you're allowed to be just as you are and God's not picking you off and picking on you. And God's not sticking his finger in the middle of your chest and hurting you and condemning you. He's not criticizing the way that you are living your life. He's wooing you and his immeasurable grace that showers over all of your sins calls you into a depth of a relationship that you've never had here on earth. So what did, why did God treat us so kindly? Because it promotes his plan for us and it displays like a big crazy trophy his immeasurable grace that God says my grace is sufficient. I love you. I will give you life. I will lift you up as though you are my very son. No matter what you've come from, 
It's never about where you've been. It's where you're at with Jesus. It's the presence of God. I'm asking you right now to begin to forget, to walk away from your old identity. Today, if we preach and we believe what this actually says, we are being transformed and we are walking in his likeness. We are saints, not sinners. You don't sit with the monogram just going, oh, ooh, just a sinner. I'm in the sinner boat. God called you, is calling you out of that. God has redeemed that. And he did that through Jesus Christ because that's where he wants you. I want you to hear the stark contrast. It says you are a dead man walking because verse 12 said that we were separated from Christ. And now we're seeing in verse 7, why did God treat us so kindly? Because he did so to to promote his immeasurable grace and to let love and mercy rule. And he did so through his son. God wants you to be with him. See, remember this part where it said, Emmanuel, God is with us. It's not God's with you and you got about seven more minutes with him. He came down, he incarnated, he became you, he took care of the enemy status, and you've got four minutes left. No, it's not God with you for a moment. It's not God with you when it's emotionally okay, or it's not God with you when you feel like you have some superiority. It's not God with you, it's God's with you all of the time. He will never leave you or forsake you. And he's lock, stock, and barreled this economy of transformation. It's not up for grabs. So how did he accomplish the loving, living, and lifting of us? It's through Jesus Christ. Look at verse 8. Verse 8 says, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It's a gift of God. God accomplishes this through his gift of grace. He's saying, you're too favored to live in guilt and shame and in condemnation of others. You are to live and to breathe and be lifted up and understand who you are in Christ. You don't have time to be critiquing and to be demeaning and to be tearing down as you have been resurrected and lifted up and have brought into life to the very spot of where Jesus is at. That is the economy. This is the rhythm of which I'm telling you my family is about. My family is about joy and exaltation and lifting up and being raised up and understanding that God has made you complete at the cross of Christ. And ultimately what he says at the very end, right? but should be said right now, through God's gift of His grace, He's building us up into a holy dwelling. Through faith and not on our own doing, right? Verse 8 and 9. Earlier this week, I had about 20 people from Red Sea at my house on Wednesday. And as I sat there, I had a few things I wanted to tell them about some places that I think Red Sea needs to go. And I talked about training, and I talked about the idea of us planting. What does it look like? And where are we at? And, and as I was talking to them, I began to cry. I couldn't stop. I didn't plan on it. But I sat there and with my head down, very uncomfortably. It was a very socially awkward situation. Everybody's looking at me, and I'm doing one of these. And everybody just has to watch, right? So you're like. I know. You know, the minute you start to talk, it's going to take off on you like, whoa. So, but I was crying 
because I was having a unique moment with God, actually. I was so thankful. I, I had not had that in a long time where I saw the evidences of grace, where I actually saw people in the room, and it was by God's grace that they got there. It was by God's grace that they were in my life. It was by God's grace we were having the conversation we were having. It was something that, would, that made me extremely thankful. I had done nothing to deserve it. There was no reason they should be in my life. There's no reason that we should have traveled through some of our conflicts and our, and our, uh, our afflictions and our iniquities, and, and, but Jesus and the blood of Jesus was was there and it may sound gross to you for me to turn it to that imagery but but the blood was covering everything and and people were having peace and harmony and this is what God's talking about he's saying there's a place for you that I'll shower you so much in grace that the blood of Jesus has created that through Jesus Christ you can be made whole and you can live your whole life and you can live under this new identity or you can keep going back to the zombie life but you can be loved lifted up and given life through Jesus Christ or you can deny that and it's all on the table for you to either come to or to deny it. You can either be a part of it and be consumed by it and understand that God has immeasurable grace for you that yes you will screw up later this afternoon you may screw up tomorrow or the next day or however that looks like for you in your old life but God is not intending for you to stay that way. God has said I've got a new creation that's been made in you through my son Jesus Christ and I've put you at the closest spot. I've put you right next to me. That's the message that we're to become like other people so that we can tell them God has an amazing, ridiculous plan for you and it costs you nothing. There's nothing you can do to receive it. How are you when people are doing things for you? Is your pride there? How are you when people come to tell you some of the truth pieces of this grace. How are you with what I've said earlier in that God is not looking to to sin manage and to, to correct your every move, but he's more wanting you to understand what's already been done. How are you with the idea that you don't have to tap dance a particular dance and some religiosity and, and live this certain cardboard way, which I called herky-jerky Christianity last week, how are you understanding that you've been totally set free and made alive? How alive are you? Because God said we were dead man walking, dead women walking. He did, what did he do for his enemy as he saved us? How did he treat us so kindly? He treated us with grace and gave us things we don't deserve through his son. And how did he accomplish this loving, living, and lifting? Through the gospel of Jesus Christ, through God's gift and his favor. And not through anything of our own, but through faith and through the blood. Verse 13 shows us that the blood of Jesus Christ blows away any barrier between us and God, blows away any barrier between us and each other. So where are we now? We're one family. And here's what I want you to listen up as I close this down. Who are we now? We're one family. This is verse 10. It says in verse 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, for God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Did you hear me? This is about walking. What direction are you walking? Are you walking towards your new identity? Are you allowing the Holy Spirit to say, I've made you fresh and brand new? Our purpose is in that verse 10. Can you see it? It says that we were prepared ahead for good works. That God has a plan for us. He wants us to join the team. That once he's loved us and lifted us up, he's resurrected us, he's given us life, he's saying there's a place for you in this. Do you understand how thrilled God is with you? I haven't. I've lived much of my life not understanding how thrilled God is of me. 
And when you understand how thrilled God is of you, then everything else on this planet will not matter. The love that he has and what he's accomplished for us will blow everything away. Every other form of significance that the planet is trying to offer, every type of route and movement and idolatry will be shamed by the cross of Jesus Christ. Everything that is wicked and vulgar and everything that we've been a part of and find ourselves in thought patterns and heart patterns, God is saying, my cross has abolished that. I've completely yanked you from there and set you free. Are you thrilled at that? I believe God is saying, yes, you. Yes, you today. I don't care how old you are. I don't care about your, your status, your sexual status, your gender. I don't care about what crimes you've committed. I don't care about where you've been. I'm here to call you out. Do you hear and feel and sense the Holy Spirit now calling you? Because he is. I know he is. He's calling you to be new, a new humanity, a new people, a new family, that does not discriminate. He says, this is the place for everybody to come. And we're, I'm going to take your sins so that you can understand the love and mercy I have for you. Do you understand that, son? Do you understand that, daughter? We are not here in the business of elevating your sin. So don't have a twinkle in your eye about it. Get away from it. Move this way because I have immeasurable grace for you. Do you feel clean yet? Come with me. Let's live an adventure. Come with me. I'll make all things new. I'll restore all things. And place your faith in me. Believe me. This is a real relationship. Get thirsty for it. Are you thirsting to see what else he would have to say to you this week? Are you thirsting to live more deeply in this request? And is there a bunch of crap along the way? There absolutely is. There's an adversary that chucks dirt clods at your face. I remember years ago, one of my neighbors thought it would be funny to get behind the fence and start paint gunning my family as we walked into the house. I did not have immeasurable grace for it, my enemy. God would have been nice and pulled the paint gun out of their drunk hands and said, as funny as you think that is to peg off all the garments, which is great targets. I'm not going to say I don't understand where their drunken mind was. But it's not okay. But do you know that God's not looking to peg you? Do you know it's silly, but we actually take pot shots at God through our behavior, through the way we treat each other, the way we lack we lack respect. God's asking us, are you thirsty for this relationship? Because this relationship of being called into his family, where you are now is a product of grace. Nobody deserves to be in here. Nobody has a resume that says, oh yes, you are holy enough. Your credit score was low, but you certainly are holy enough. Oh, your experience. You grew up in this particular family, in this place. Yes, you may be a part of this economy. You may be loved and given life and lifted up. <laughs> okay, it sounds silly. It happens. There's constructs in our minds and our hearts that say, I can love you this much, God, and I'm only going to love them at varying degrees. It will be very far from unconditional. But God says, verses 14 through 18, you're partners in this. I brought you along and I set you free and I put you in the image of my son because you're partners in this. You're going to be powerful reconcilers. This is probably the most primary way that we can act in light of the gospel to show Christ's likeness. Christ's likeness at its core is reconciling. The scriptures say that there's a ministry of reconciliation. So right now, the big barometer for all of us today via these scriptures is how well are you at mending relationships? 
If God has done all of this for you and he's moved you, how are you at mending your relationships? We went through peacemakers. We'll do peacemakers again in our credo pathways, which would be like 9 o'clock classes. But it's, it's very important tools to have as you begin to act out what it means to follow Jesus. And so when we're partners in the gospel, we're reconcilers with everyone. And we are joined into one body when we're partners of the gospel. And God says, you're already people of God. That's verse 19. Are you going to walk into the renewal and what's already a done deal? And then the last thing I want you to see is verse 20 through 22. And this is, all of this leads up to this. So God, we spend quite a bit of time, Paul does at least, in verse 1 through 3, talking about how we were dead man walking, and then we move into it, and it says, but God did something for his dead enemy, and why would God treat us so kindly to display his grace? And then uh, how did God accomplish this loving, living, and lifting in us through the gift of grace, through faith, not our own doing, and through the blood of Jesus? And then we say, well, where are we now? We're one family. We're the result of grace. We're partners in this gospel. God just didn't say, I'm going to you now go sit on the couch come on in let's do this and then he says this we are the post and beams of the temple in verse 20 through 22 he says this we're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets Christ Jesus himself the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple of the Lord The foundation is the apostles and the prophets and the cornerstone. So you have the foundation is the apostles and the prophets, and then you have the cornerstone of which everything else is built around, and that's Jesus Christ. So you're getting this? Throughout history, whether it's Francois in the 1400s, or whether it's eight years ago when people came here to plant this church who are no longer here, but they came here to be a part of the cornerstone, which is Jesus. The apostles and prophets were the foundation, and then God builds from there, post and beam us and it's a it's a spiritual dwelling and this is what's happening god takes us all the way from being his enemies in the state that we're in he pours grace all over it and then calls us into his family and calls us to be a holy dwelling among unholy places and 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 he scatters that dwelling it's it's not about a building it's not about physical anymore right we see that through judaism which is all uh, the law and very physical we see it moves into the spiritual and so we're that dwelling today and so as we come to communion i want you to read for yourself verse 22 which is our last one and i want you to read that i'm going to read it and then keep reading that today it says this in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. I want you to see in Him, that's Jesus, the very beginning of verse 22, you are also being built together in a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You see the Trinity there? Everybody's participating, saying you belong. The heart of the one who made the universe is calling you into this. And here's what's happening right here today. It's not that God gave you life once. It's not that God lifted you up once. And it's not that God loved you one time. See, that's what we find in human relationships. Oh, yeah, you were there for me that one time. And you know what? There's real reasons for that. We're very limited. We don't get to be there for everybody all of the time as much as we'd like to be. And you know what? I had love for you because the vehicle of relationship allowed for me to love you in that moment, to love you in that season, to love you that way. And, and you lifted me up. But Jesus is doing this all of the time. The evidence of his grace, the fact that God has done this immeasurable thing through the blood of Jesus at Calvary, is that God is constantly lifting you up. Do you know that he takes joy in that? Do you want to be lifted up? Do you know that he's constantly calling you into love? Healthy love. Not worldly love. A love that, that is completely selfless. 
humility love to the point where he had death of self. Philippians says that he humbled himself. He humbled himself to the point of death. God's asking us to surrender. I'll use my friend Francois's book title. He's asking you to let go. He's asking us to let go from that terrible status where there's wicked and there's satanic swaying and there's darkness and there's sin and we are so immersed in it and our identity is so being told to us through our circumstances and what we think on any given day that we've distorted the view of what God has for us to be his family, to be loved, to have a place. That before the foundations of the earth, it says that he had good works planned for you. You get to join the work. And here's even greater news. That Jesus Christ died on the cross for you and his body was broken for you because Jesus, every single time you come here, every single time you come to him in your car, every single time you take a walk and you come to him, he's going to stand between you and your sin. What do you think of that? That's aces right there for me because I sin a lot. And every one of those sins, Jesus is standing between me and those sins and those sins beckon me and they say, you are this piece of, you are this because the world says you are. You are this because even somebody you love says you are this sin. And Jesus stands in between and he says, you will not be identified by your sin. You will not be known by your sin. You will be known by me. So the question is, Will you allow yourself to be called that and to be that? Will you allow yourself to be shamed or will you believe? All you have to do is believe that this story is the story. That Jesus Christ died for your sins once and for all, completely done, over with. No more conversation. As far as from the east is to the west, as God goes out of my sight. I'll stand between you and your sin every single time and I did it one time at the cross. Claim the cross today as you come to be forgiven and as you repent so that fruit would come from your life and so that you can start to accomplish the things that please God and that will please you. It's an amazing economy for you to look at and to be with others to go, wow, you got this? I got this. I can't believe we're doing this. Will you pray with me? Lord God, we just love you. We thank you so much for lifting us up. It's... um. It's very humbling. And Lord, um, I just want to confess, I was afraid to take a whole chapter today because I don't want to do injustice to your word. But Lord, the funny thing is, is we always are. In our humanity, we fumble through things. You're the surgeon with a precise cut into our sin and into our flesh. And so Jesus, I thank you for you using your own words I thank you that you can discard our, our human views and our unhealth and that you can show us the exaltation of the word becoming flesh in Jesus Christ and being perfect and pure, that there is a new humanity, that Jesus has said, this is the way that you can enjoy being human. This is the way that you can enjoy being flesh, that the flesh hasn't been condemned, the sins have that the wrath of God has been taken care of, that there's been an atonement that stands between us and, and a lousy humanity. And so, God, I ask that you would continue to renew our mindsets, that we'd continue to find your way, that we would see what you've said of us and live that way because it's already done. It's a paradigm shift for us, Lord. And so, Lord, we love you and we thank you for your patience and your kindness in the way that you treat us. Let us be patient and kind with one another. Let us be generous. And let us be sacrificial to the point where we would die to ourselves and our own paradigms and the way that we think things should always be. Let us take on your vision. We love you so much. We thank you for the communion table. We thank you for each other. We thank you for this mission of loving St. John's and Portland and our neighbors. 
Give us the strength to do so and let us tell them what their identity can be in Jesus. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Red Sea Church. If you would like more information about Red Sea, including more audio messages, please go to our website at www.redseachurch.org. If you would like to contact Red Sea, you can email us at info at redseachurch.org.